Morning, everyone. Tuesday, March the 29th. We've got the whole team back on board today. Marcus, could you please let us know what happened overnight? Uh, yep, Wall Street up a bit. Third rise on the trot up 95. Recovered from a 300-point drop. Spy was up 38, so we're up 45 this morning, so doing a bit better than expected. Main drivers overnight were continued peace talks and the oil price down 6.7% on the back of that. Also, OPEC saying they're not changing anything because of Russia and Ukraine. And also this thing about China Chinese lockdowns, which may affect Chinese demand. I've got a chart in the strategy section today of Chinese GDP growth. Just after this sort of yo-yo drop on the pandemic and rise, uh, it is still basically in downtrend. Anyway, Chinese lockdowns not helping. Iron ore price unchanged, though. Bond yields not yet inverted on the two and 10-year in the US, but I've got a, uh, I'll come to the strategy piece later on that. Uh, interesting to see the lithium prices plateaued. I almost put that in as a strategy point today, but looking for direction, lithium price might be getting tired. And again, oil price peaking as well. And Bitcoin up 8%. Bitcoin's now up from $35,000 to $47,577 this year and is on the rise. And I don't know whether uh, you listened to Henry's podcast with, what was the name of the fund manager? Daniel, wasn't it, Henry? On, yes, on- it was. Daniel Pickering. He runs a sophisticated investor Bitcoin fund called Listed Reserve. There you go. So Daniel Pickering, well worth listening to his podcast on the couch with Henry, which was in the newsletter last week. But that even really explains some basics about not so much Bitcoin, but cryptocurrencies, but Bitcoin in particular, about its legitimacy, which had me quite, uh, (laughs) hate to admit it, had me quite convinced that here you have a central bank in the US printing 40% more US dollars in the last couple of years, and we're supposed to use the US dollar as a benchmark, whereas Bitcoin, there is a finite number of them. Everybody knows the supply curve and there are not 40% more Bitcoins, in which case, which is the better benchmark? It doesn't matter the legitimacy of what a Bitcoin is. It's simply its value as a a more legitimate benchmark than a fiat currency with central printing dollars. So anyway, worth listening to Henry's podcast on the couch. So Bitcoin up, if that's the barometer of uh, irrational or rational exuberance, then obviously sentiment's improving. Got the budget tonight, so close to an election, don't expect too much uh, on the negatives. You expect it to be positive for the consumer and therefore the stock market, just so close to an election. We've got US jobs numbers on Friday, RBA meeting next week. Again, running into an election, the RBA are duty bound not to do anything. And so almost certainly won't. Anyway, that's about that. I like the balance of your two barometers in bond yields and Bitcoin, very much different ends of the spectrum. This isn't um, science, it's an art. (laughs) Very good. Tom, what's happening locally? today. Thank you, Ben. I'll try and keep this quick. We have growth outperforming value today. Tech and consumer discretionary stocks are higher. Energy miners and gold stocks easing, as Marcus said, the oil price was off a little bit overnight. Nothing scheduled on the corporate front. Blackstone has received approval for the Crown acquisition. Sigma Healthcare has flagged a return to profit in FY23. So this is is private equity buying Crown Casino yet again. So I would just 
tell you from anyone who was around when the Crown Casino was being built that institutions paid for the Crown Casino to be built. Your super funds paid for the Crown Casino to be built, managed to run it into the ground, sell it to Packer for a few cents, and then Packer rode the new wave of casino enthusiasm. And it seemed the whole thing seemed like a Machiavellian plot where institutions were uh, paid for a fabulous asset that ended up in the hands of Packer, who is now, of course, a bit of history since then. Here we are again with private equity taking over Crown Casino, and it'll come back just onto the market. Just completing the circle. Absolutely. It's just a, a never-ending circle of investors being rooted by private equity or generally. Anyway, there we go. What else is happening? We have a bidding war for Unity heating up with a revised offer from Morrison and Brookfield of $5, which matches one from Macquarie and PSP last week. So good news for Unity shareholders. Nearmap has reaffirmed guidance. And on the economic front, we have retail sales and, of course, the federal budget tonight, as you said, should be good for consumers and the market, lowering the cost of living, a widely touted aim and headline from that one. Very nice. Thank you, Tom. Layden, any broker stuff of note this morning? Thanks, Ben. I'll go through a few here. Gold Road Resources was upgraded to neutral at Macquarie after they released results. Profit was a beat and the half a cent dividend was higher than Macquarie expected. There was no change to the target price, so it's probably unlikely to have much of an impact there. Mineral Resources, Macquarie upgraded its valuation for Lockyer Deep to $420 million from $300 million after those testing results yesterday. They've got an outperform rating and a target price of $77, and that's 56% above the current share price. Who's that? Who's that like? Mineral Resources. No, uh, I know. Uh, who's the broker? Oh, Macquarie. Right. <laughs> 57% above the current share price. Okay. And an interesting one, Cube Holdings. They sold the beverage land option to the Commonwealth yesterday, and they've now got the option to buy 200 hectares of the site at a future date, which brokers have said gives them more flexibility and exposure to future upside from any development. And City has a buy rating there with a target price of $3.58. That suggests a 15% upside, Ben. Very good. Thank you, Leighton. Christopher, you're a busy man at the moment. What's happening? Always plenty on. Thanks. Ben, so first things first, took a little profit on New Farm yesterday, uh, which was a good result for those involved in the trade. That makes eight out of the last 10 trades winners. And I make no bones about the fact that there was a period late last year where market volatility picked up and the trading results weren't as good as what we've seen of late. And I think the winning rate was about 50%. And at best, probably that block of 10 around that time was break even. Uh, so nice to see that since then, we've stuck to the method. And like I said, eight out of the last 10 have been winners and there's been a couple of juicy ones in there as well. Chart of the day is Wally Parsons. Bit tongue-in-cheek this morning. I've written that I love technical analysis and everyone knows that I do, but I must admit myself that sometimes there can be some fluff involved in technical analysis. Uh, People do tend to put a little bit of mayo on their technicals and sometimes you really have to squint to see what people are talking about. With Wally Parsons this morning, you do not at all. It goes straight down Main Street. Very nice, clean, well-formed rally off the November lows uh, and recently punched through $13. So I've just had a quick look this morning it's back below 13 but that is the the tipping point if you will if it manages to close above that level by the end of the day could be an opportunity for anyone willing to take on the risk so there we go and of course you mean Wally Limited oh is it now Wally Limited I was about to say they did a Madonna or a Zendaya a little while ago pardon my mistake I didn't know that so thank you (laughs) Uh, that's it from me thank you Christopher 
Uh, Henry, what have you got for us today in Henry's Take? Thanks, Ben. Um, just talking today in Henry's Take about the Aussie dollar, which is the little mouse that roared at the moment, 75 cents or thereabouts. And obviously, there is an attraction to our economy from international players as inflation rises because of we are a very commodity-based economy, a bit like Canada to some extent. Now, Macquarie have done some work on their theoretical value of the Aussie dollar, which they put at 96 cents. Now, that is obviously up there with their mineral resources price target in terms of what they think. And it won't happen overnight, but certainly the Aussie dollar and the Australian market would be a beneficiary from a move to invest in commodities. Now, bear in mind now, even if peace does break out tomorrow in Ukraine, which would be lovely if it did happen, sanctions on average last 16 years. So this, the, the tightness in commodities, whether it be fertilizer, oil, gas, etc., that's not going to go away. We are in a commodity super cycle at the moment, and that is not going to go away just because peace breaks out, because it's hardly likely that we're going to be inviting Mr. Putin back to G20, G7, G8, or whatever G you want, because peace has broken out. There is going to be some punishment meted out, otherwise we'll just do it again. So uh, talking BHP, one subscriber has asked me to comment or write an article on how you should position yourself for the BHP Woodside oil and gas asset merger. It's quite complicated and I'm going to have to get my head around that one, but that's in the pipeline. But commodities are very much in vogue. Macquarie's 96 cent target does highlight that maybe being long US dollar earners, the likes of ResMed, Cochlear, etc., Aristocrat may not pay, whereas the likes of BHP and other commodity stocks will. And finally, a little left field idea. This goes to the changing face of warfare in the Ukraine at the moment. I have left field ideas. It's buying brain chip. Now, at the moment, the Ukrainians are doing very well with drones that have recognition technology that they basically cobble together from crowdfunding and smuggling in parts to do it and taking out Russian tanks, which has been very, very successful. Facial recognition technology is brain chips, a Kida chip there. The stock's come off a long way. Pitt Street Research put in a research piece the other day with a price target of $1.50. They're trading at 90-odd cents. I've added that to the small cap portfolio this morning. So a bit left field, but uh, talking AI, there's also a good link to the Wreath Lecture with an absolute expert on AI and drone technology targeting people based on facial profiles, which is very scary, but it is effectively what Ukraine is doing with tanks. That's about it from me today. Very nice, Henry. I see two, one of your old favorites, EOS, Electro-Optic Systems, up 14% today, which is nice it's seeing not- as you... Ben, it's not my old favourite. You're, you're an expert, Henry. You are an expert, Henry. You've written many articles. I wrote two articles for Livewire to it, and the stock just tanked. And now it's bounced because it's getting some funding, and some people in the Middle East are now paying for uh, for the stuff they've got, and supply chains are easing up. But it's it's not my stock, Ben. Highfield Resources, which is one of the ones that we did on, on the couch uh, back in December with um, Ignacio Salazar, is a Spanish fertiliser business. Uh, that's up 50% since we have done that on the couch thing, highlighting that one. So that's doing very well. HFR is the stock code there. That's very good. I was just going to point out that you did point out that EOS could be a defense winner from the budget. We haven't even had a budget yet and it's up 14%. So just a bit of kudos there. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks, Henry. Uh, Marcus, what do you got for strategy today? I've written a couple of bits in the strategy piece today. The first one is a bit of a highbrow thing, but I've looked at the US yield curve inverting. You'll see a nice chart in there of the 10-year bond yield.
yield dropping below the three and five year bond yield. But things are usually, uh, which is abnormal. Normal is a longer dated bond is going to have a higher yield than a shorter dated bond. And that was the situation until the Fed turned up with a more hawkish tone this year and until inflation numbers started to spike. And that debate will go on whether that's temporary or not. But the interesting thing is to look at the other chart in the strategy piece, which is the Australian bond yields and everything is still very normal. Uh, we haven't inverted at all. The suggestion is, of course, which is a bit of a highbrow point. I don't, don't know whether you're going to make any money out of it. But the suggestion is that the risk of a recession or the indicators of a recession in the next six to 24 months don't exist in Australia whilst they do in the US. What you do with that, I don't know. I've concluded Australian investors can be a bit more relaxed about the equity market. A The chance of rate rises and the chance of a recession is significantly lower here than in the US. And of course, we've got rising commodity prices, which are going to keep our economy going very nicely. So uh, relax. Of course, the problem with that is if the US market does fall over on the back of inflation and interest rate rises, then we will follow. So it's all a bit irrelevant, really. But the main message is Australian economy looks okay, as doubtless they will tell us in the budget. Uh, the other thing I've written about today is our biggest short-term risk. I don't think this is the case yet, but have a look at the charts. The resources sector is top of the trading range, highest it's been since 2011. And at some point, you're going to see, a, I, I think one of the risks is this is a fickle sector. It is a trading sector. Last year, if you remember, the iron ore price peaked out and the sector dropped 22% in 36 days with 40, 50% falls in some stocks. Uh, we are set up for a similar sort of thing to happen again. Just look out for it. We're in the middle of an inflation bubble. We're in the middle of a commodity price bubble where electric vehicles, uh, not be the, the driver of nickel prices and other metal prices, copper, is not being questioned. It's just electric vehicles, perpetual price rises in metals. And now we've got the Chinese economy continuing to slide away a little bit. Uh, the, you know, there's, there's a risk that we're top of the range and something goes wrong. Nothing's gone wrong yet. Iron ore price is still going up. Metal prices are holding up. The sector is holding up. There's nothing to sell yet. But just be, I would just, if I was an active investor, I'd just be looking for another one of those 22% corrections in a short period of time, could come any time. Keep an eye on it. No reason to do anything about it now. For long-term investors, wouldn't worry about it too much. Uh, in there, I would also point out, if you look at broker target prices, the average broker target price on BHP, Rio, Fortescue is traditionally 20, 30% above the current share price. Currently, the average target price on Reuters is half a percent above the current share price on BHP, 3% above on Rio, and 11% below on Fortescue Metals. So in other words, the brokers could turn on them very quickly. The target prices are not supportive of the current high share prices. Just watch out for that. And forget about your PEs and yields, as when the iron ore price fell over last year, the, the PEs were under 10, the yields were over 10, and it, it has absolutely no bearing on where the share price is going to go because it's the, the, the earnings and dividend forecasts are based on commodity prices, which change daily. And when the outlook changes, the forecasts are going to change and the for current forecast will prove to be wrong. So forget the PEs and yields as a uh, support. Just watch out for the top on commodities. We're in a bit of a can-do-no-wrong bubble on resources at the moment. That's all from me. Great. Thank you, Marcus. And Tom, quickly, ideas section today. So one change to the ideas section, we added James Hardy last or a couple of weeks ago, almost at, on the 18th. There was some good housing stuff 
starts data there and the chart was looking like it could bottom. That hasn't eventuated. So we've taken a, or we've sold the position there for a, we'll have to see what the uh, loss was. But um, Marks and I also talking about a rolling stop loss, implementing that in the section so we can have a bit more of a structured approach. But James Hardy, look, it's still a solid company. There's some good fundamentals there, but not doing what we want in the short term. And the other thing in the idea section is uh, I almost sold brain chip. I only bought brain chip because it was one of the stocks that fell the most when the market lost its poise. And I came back from holiday and almost sold it because it was the worst performer of the stocks we added. We'll hold on to it a bit longer. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Suddenly Henry's the brokers are getting a bit more positive. Yeah. So we're still holding that. And I'll have a look at Nearmap today because that turned up on the scans today. And they're up 11% on their yeah, annual contract. Yeah. So they had their update on their, they had a contract win in North America and they uh, reaffirmed guidance for their annual annualized contract value at 150. They think they're going to beat that. So good, good news from them. I think I know what the fundamentals will say. Though. They do have some legal proceedings hanging over them. Yes. That's the, uh, that's the big risk. Funnily enough, it's going to be a stock on the call that I'll be on on Thursday. They've asked me to talk about that. So I'll just leverage your notes, Marcus. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> nice, nice little plug there too, Chris. Yeah. Yep. And question of the day, we will fly through this because we're all here today and we don't want to drag on too long. How many stocks are in your portfolio? Tom, kick us off. I have, and it might be a function of... Um, how much money, how much capital I can put towards my portfolio. But so I have seven stocks in my portfolio and two of those are ETFs. Very nice. Thank you, Tom. Christopher? I would just like to begin this by saying I respect compliance and the trading rules that we have for personal trading around Marcus today. I have three stocks in my portfolio. I have more ETFs uh, than I do stocks. So just three. So you have two ETFs and one stock? No, I have more ETFs. He doesn't stocks. want to tell you. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Henry, how many stocks? Thousands. I have to say, uh, from time way back, from probably from the last mining boom, uh, those tickets are still running. Sometimes they do come good, but yeah, probably about 20 all up in various different things. But like you, Chris, I do respect compliance. And most of the stuff is tiny weeny. Uh, the uh, the only one that I've really got much of a holding in at the moment is um, Core Lithium, as people will know. And I have been selling that one. But yes, I think the ideal number is probably between 10 and 20 for most people. 10 may be not enough Diversity and 20 might be edging on the, I can't really keep a track of it sort of size. Very nice. Thank you, Henry. Leighton? I've got four in my portfolio, a couple of ETFs and a couple of pretty terrible small cuts. But uh, yeah, that's it for me. It's always a bit of fun. Marcus? <laughs> I've got compliance issues as well. I can't trade, basically, if we're writing about it in the newsletter because of our staff trading policies. So I keep it to a minimum, like Henry. Although he holds 20 from a legacy, he doesn't trade much, if at all. So I've only got two, which is Poseidon Nickel and Environmental Group at the moment. And I've uh, had to declare those in the newsletter every time. But what I have, what I can do is trade ETFs because Marcus Marcus today couldn't possibly change a passive ETF. So I do occasionally have a trade on the market through Gear or BBOS. Or, and there are, there are other ones as well in the US when that's, I, I think we're getting pretty good at picking the sentiment changes. And uh, there are all sorts of ETFs geared to things like the US to the NASDAQ as opposed to just Australia, which are worth trading. So my last trade was selling BBOS. At one point, I turned, I think, a seven grand profit. And before I sold it, it was back to a two grand profit. <laughs> still came but, out ahead, mate. That's all that matters. Still came out ahead. Yeah. But that's what I would concentrate on rather than individual stocks because I've got compliance problems like we all have. Yeah. And Ben, what about you? I Similar story, compliance, obviously. So 
I rarely will buy something. And when I do, it's generally going to be held for a long time. And I tend to have 10 to 15 stocks and more ETFs than stocks and more playing themes than the market. So looking yeah. at the green energy or whatever particular theme you want to have access to. Yeah. And from a compliance point of view, we can do that, trade ETFs as opposed to stocks. Yeah. And uh, that's about that. That's about that. As thanks the gatekeeper everyone. of all that, thanks everyone for paying attention to compliance. It's good. <laughs> well done. Good stuff. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Thanks. See you later. Thanks, Henry. Thank you.